Hi, um, and welcome to the Science Ready podcast, where I talk to women in science, music, and the arts. Today, I will be talking to Catriona Beals, um, who's a sculptor and also makes moving images, uh, performance art installations, and thereby stressing the role of the object in digital life. Her work responds to the experience of slipping between offline and online worlds, information overload, online behavioral addictions, experiences of the technical sublime, and um, she's been recently, she she has had many awards by the Art Council, the Wellcome Trust, um, and also has had international exhibitions and residencies in um, in Sydney, um, Singapore, Japan, um, Austria, and and many more. And recently, she has been exhibiting her art, or her, uh, her work was commissioned by the Science Gallery in London uh, for an exhibition called Hook Around Addiction, and also by um, the VNA for an exhibition called um, Artificially Intelligent. So without further ado, I just want to, uh, I'm very keen to hear more about it from Katriana herself. Hello, how are you? Oh, thank you. Thanks, Isabel, for a kind intro. Um, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Um, so I- is there anything you want to add to what I was just um, uh, telling about you and your work that you've been engaged in? Um or, or can you can you talk a bit more about what you currently are are working on, for example? Well, at the moment, I'm um, actually on a little bit of maternity leave because um, I recently had a baby. Um, but it's a funny thing being an artist. You can't really stop working in a way. Um, so I've um, been taking the time to look at some exhibitions that I'm interested in and um, think about the way that my work will develop. Um, and then there's a few things I'm interested in exploring. Um, developing some of my research into online behavioral addictions. Um, and also this, some of the recent conversations I've been having around artificial intelligence and the way that AI systems are kind of present in a lot of the infrastructure, digital infrastructure that we use, but we might not necessarily be aware of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these kind of oblique systems of control in a way um, that are quite incomprehensible to most people Um, and actually a lot of how AI functions is quite incomprehensible to people who create AI systems as well so um, that's kind of creating a new uh, interesting intersection I think with uh, the digital environment and um, how things work uh, within the conditions of the digital Um, and some of that is quite uh, disturbing to my mind mm-hmm. um, and and some of it's also quite exciting and, and interesting and poses lots of new um, ethical uh, dilemmas but also quite interesting um, it exposes really I think some of the human condition in a sense some of our inherent biases so some of the ways that um, have been covered recently um, in the news about how um, AI systems have like an implicit bias which can magnify a kind of racism or sexism or misogynistic behaviour um, in different um, arenas. So, yeah, I, I won't spoil the surprise of what I'm kind of working towards, but um, I've got a few strands of thought that I'd like to uh, develop. 
Okay, that sounds very interesting. Uh, and I mean, having seen the exhibition at um, the Science Gallery as well uh, in London here, um, uh, we can go a bit more in detail there. But so, your where did your fascination for exploring the digital come from, and, and like the the um, uh, implications of, for example, being online for such so, such a long time and bringing that into your arts? Yeah, it came from quite um, a, a kind of personal set of experiences, really. For quite a long time, um, I, uh, I still struggle on and off, but it's slightly different when you're waking up with a reason, um, with a baby. But um, I struggled for a long time with insomnia and um, on and off would have very intense bouts when I couldn't really sleep. And uh, my way of kind of trying to deal with that was to go online on my phone and that's against all recommended uh, tactics for dealing with insomnia. Um, but there was something about that experience that I found very seductive and actually increasingly felt like I wasn't really able to um, maintain my own sense of agency when I was, um, depending on what I was doing, but mostly it was either reading like 24-hour news cycle or um, Twitter or Instagram or um, I'm not a fan of Facebook and I haven't been for about six years now. Um, so it wasn't that platform, but um, other platforms like reading them and sort of just being sucked into this space where um, there were these very vivid um, colours and it just felt a very sensual experience to me. But at the same time, I started to wonder about why um, I found it very difficult to switch off um, and kind of what forces were at play, I suppose. Um, so that started a conversation um, in 2011. I had my first kind of brief conversation with Dr. Henrietta Bowden-Jones, who's a clinical psychiatrist and medical doctor, a neuroscientist, um, but she specialises in um, dealing with online behavioural addictions. And she actually set up the first online problem gambling clinic in the UK in uh NHS run mm -hmm. uh, and so we kind of started a conversation quite a long time ago but that's evolved over the over the years because when I first went to talk to her about it she wasn't really dealing with people who um, were had sort of social media addictions or um, she was sort of specifically looking more at online gambling and, and some gaming um, but now her clients have um, evolved in a sense to have more people who have got um social media obsessions really mm -hmm. um, and also uh like online shopping or there's different kind of forms of um addiction played out in the digital sphere um so basically i was just really interested in um i wouldn't describe myself as an addict actually but um, in in what was happening in this addictive experience and um, that led me into a whole um, alleyway of research really yeah 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 I think I think we're all probably a bit of a have a slight addiction or a more severe addiction to either our phones or or just the internet because we're just online all the time and it's, um, yeah it's, it's um it's a lot to do with how the contemporary labor is configured. And so with the meshing of network culture, 
and mobile telecommunications that mean that creates a kind of perfect storm in a sense because all of our work and leisure are happening through the same device um and in a sense that's a kind of um that's what the computer was set up to do it was set up to be a meta medium that could you know incorporate all other mediums mm-hmm. and um that creates a new kind of set of um, interactions really where everything is channeled through the same surface mm-hmm. um which is also why I'm very interested in the materiality of glass and um I've made some work with um glass glass forms with screens embedded inside of them but the glass is kind of shaped like a cloud or like a kind of amorphous surface so the screen's distorted okay uh, yeah 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 Okay, can you tell us, so um can you tell us a bit more about like go go into a bit more detail there so one why would you uh want to, to kind of take that approach of of so you have a screen within a glass and then you make it um like non-transparent uh, in a sense of distort or distorted so um what what do you want to provoke within people by seeing that Well I think in a sense um uh what I'm interested in is um, the way that these a lot of these devices that we use have become in a sense invisible because we just it's like a go-to it's almost like a kind of um, default behavior we don't even think about it and there was some research from last year that showed oh it's 2016 actually that showed that people check their mobile phones over 300 times a day I think it was up to 300 times a day on average so obviously there's some people checking them a lot more than that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and you know that's that's a lot yeah <laughs> it's pretty insane <laughs> if you hear the numbers yeah yeah and so i'm i'm i suppose what i'm trying to do in in a in a way through that work which was part of a a show that i made called are we all addicts now um at furtherfield which was also with an artist called fiona mcdonald um but what i was trying to do with that work was um make this invisible glass surface this touch screen surface that we use all the time really visible um and actually it does distort or at least changes our experience of things yeah. um so it's a kind of portal the screen is a portal but it's also a um a viewing device mm-hmm. um not just literally but metaphorically as well yeah. and it shapes and frames how we view um what it is that we consume and um there's all sorts of interesting thinking i think around this idea that we can kind of fit the world in our pockets and this constant connectedness um and all those questions and things that i think uh we have sort of taken for granted a little bit or just it's like without thinking about it i am on skype to you and somehow there's these new forms of um communication enabled and what social impact does that have hmm. um i'm i'm not a fan of all marshall mcluhan's thoughts but there's one thing that he says that i think really neatly sums up what i why i'm interested in new technologies and uh, he says that every new technology creates a new human environment and i suppose my kind of questioning is what kind of environment is it that we're creating and what kind of human is that creating as well mm-hmm. um and uh yeah that's a question that really drives my practice 
Okay, that's that's super interesting because maybe uh, can we tap into virtual reality a bit? Because obviously, with yeah. virtual reality coming again, you're creating this very new, different world where people are interacting either with each other or with the environment, and how that will influence basically the interactions outside of that world is still kind of maybe a question mark in the long term so I don't know what your views are on that medium yeah I mean I don't take the I don't take the position that technology is um a good inherently good thing or that technology is inherently bad thing um but I also don't agree that it's neutral so every technology um embodies the values of the designers who've created it And, you know, anyone who's used a left-handed pair of scissors who's right-handed knows that technology has a bias or a um, design influences how you use something and how usable it is and how user-friendly it is. And um, with VR, um, there's obviously some amazing applications was in terms of particularly in the medical field, um, particularly um, helping... Um, people deal with maybe traumatic experiences or understand uh, things like PTSD or um, in terms of training medical practitioners. And there's an artist um, who's done some work around that with a project called Labyrinth Psychotica, which looks at what the trying to articulate the experience of having a psychotic breakdown to people who are mentally healthy. Um, so I think, you know, there's some really interesting ways that VR can be used, but there's also this... Um, in creating this kind of total environment, this very immersive space, even more so than kind of screening, you know, gaming based on a screen or um, you are creating the possibility for people um, to get really um, engrossed or lost within a, a, a kind of different world. And, um, you know, for an artist, that's really exciting. I'm, I put a proposal together to make a VR work last year, which, Uh, hasn't actually done it I haven't actually managed to get um, it made yet but um, I think there's lots of really exciting potentials there and, and in, in a way it's a natural extension of an installation art practice you know you're creating an environment you're just creating one that's um, within a digital realm um, but in another way from a kind of being able to decipher uh what's what's happening in the world around us that it kind of can create a, a I think for some people that's going to cause some quite complicated um things perhaps people who've already got um you know medical conditions or mental health conditions that mean that they find it difficult to understand uh, their environment anyway so yeah that's a very long answer uh, no no it's, it's very interesting to hear um like your views on that as well and in terms of when we then look at um your exhibition that you did at or that, you, that you're still doing at the science gallery in london um around addiction and and basically using games as well could you could you can you tell us firstly a bit more about what, you, what your exhibition is about and then why you took that approach basically yeah yeah so um the work's called entering the machine zone two And it develops um, some work that I made for the show at Furtherfield in 2017. And um, basically, um, it uses, I'll describe what the work is, and then I'll describe some of my thinking behind it. Yeah. Uh, so the work 
is a kind of um, bespoke armchair and um, it's covered in this very soft blue fur on the back and then on the front um, where you sit it's velvet and then there's like this uh, armature that you bring over your lap and it's got a trackpad on it and then in front of you quite close actually is quite a large LED screen and it's um, hung portrait and um, the idea is is that it's kind of riffing off a mobile phone screen um, and uh, the first thing that you see when you sit down is these eyes sort of popping up um, and the instruction on the screen say to click on the eyes and you do that and then that leads into um, a, a set of three spinning reels and it's a little bit it's kind of a mashup between um, social media and a slot machine and all of the images are drawn from um, I've selected from different social media platforms um, and they all hello Ollie you're contributing to this conversation <laughs> my baby's also making some contributions um, basically they all um, are images of different things that are actually play on certain anxieties that I have online so um, some of them are kind of funny and some of them are a bit gross um, but there's there's one about um, there's there's so the, the, on each of the reels are sets of 12 sets of images and the idea is to join them up and you do that by clicking on the trackpad to stop the wheels spinning and then you can get two in a row or three in a row and um so they're things like naked cats or really like gourmet burgers but with like loads of like sort of sauces and stuff and they turn to this kind of like oozing kind of mess um and uh yeah so there's, there's these three sets and they're all very kind of like candy crush colors like I've manipulated mm -hmm. the colorways so they're really like super saturated in color um and then if you get like, three in a row uh you get a winner screen that comes up with loads of hearts on it and there's this like music and stuff so you get uh you get a hit a dopamine hit of like winning and at the bottom, you're kind of accruing points and everything. And you have kind of three plays at this game. And then there's a, a, a reveal screen that comes up, which shows that actually whilst you've been playing, um, the, uh, the computer program running this has been also tracking your eye movements and where you're looking at on the screen. And so you get this printout, which is like a, well, it's like a heat map of where your gaze is. And um, there's areas which are like soft and, um, and then there's areas that are more, where you've been concentrating more, where it's are whiter. And um, I suppose in that work, Orly, hello. Um, in that work, I'm trying to talk about the way that um, a lot of the kind of social media that we consume is also watching us and tracking us and um, this kind of soft surveillance and the way in a sense in which we are kind of farmed for our personal data so that um, so that we can be more effectively sold to and advertised to mm -hmm. and um, that kind of um, 
the way that gamification techniques like uh, notifications, for example, um, they kind of draw us back into um, the platform again and again. Um, so I was trying to kind of utilize some of the strategies that I'm critiquing, um, but in order to kind of expose expose the critique or make people question what it is that they're doing and who they're doing it for when they're um, on different platforms. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's some very interesting, it comes out of some research that I did supported by the B.F. Skinner Foundation. Mm -hmm. And B.F. Skinner was um, uh, one of the kind of founding figures in the field of behavioral psychology and quite a controversial um, psychologist who did a lot of um, experiments that you wouldn't ethically be able to do these days. Um, but back in the kind of 60s and 70s, it was a different story. Um, and he did a lot of... Um, oh, did he? He did a lot of research around um, uh, the way that um, behaviour can be manipulated. Mm -hmm. And essentially... He set out to try and disprove some other psychologists' research that showed that chimpanzees had higher thinking skills. And he basically thought that was nonsense, that they were just responding to um, a reward system. So he set out to try and prove this, and he picked an animal with, which was generally thought to be a bit stupid, a pigeon, um, that, that showed that he could train pigeons to demonstrate high, uh, supposedly higher thinking skills but just by using rewards. And so um, he set up things called a Skinner box. It's quite well known, this experiment, but um, within the Skinner box environment, he trained the pigeons to tap, uh, a press a kind of red button. And when he pressed the red button, or she, the pigeon, depending on their gender, um, would get fed. And when there was what he would describe as a stable schedule of reward, so it was reliably true that every time the pigeon pressed the red buttons so the feed would come the pigeon basically learned that they could get food when they needed it and they only pressed the red button when they were hungry um, and then Skinner thought well what happens when we vary the schedule of reward so sorry I'm going to cough <coughs> so um, sometimes we won't release food when they tap the red button just to see what what happened mm -hmm. and essentially what he found was the pigeons kind of went completely um psychotic um they would tap the button constantly um two or three thousand times an hour for 15 hours yeah. um it was completely um they couldn't control um the uh their response to this variable schedule of reward and essentially that research I mean this wasn't what Skinner intended he actually had some very interesting um, thoughts on education systems and prison reform and and how to use reward positively mm -hmm. but a lot of this research has also been used in a negative or applied in a very negative context so within casinos within slot machines and actually increasingly within Silicon Valley mm -hmm. so there's um a book by a guy called Nir Yal called Hooked. Oh, yeah. It was, describes this as like the best idea ever and that you should utilise it within the platforms you're making because 
basically people can't control how much they interact with the platform because of this variable schedule of reward. And he gives an example of um, a, a, an imaginary person called Barbara who goes on pin interest and every time she goes on, it's a different set of things that she finds. And as a result, you know, she can't actually, um, it, it kind of causes this dopamine surge. She, she gets that kind of, the hit of like unpredictability and um, she spends 45 minutes on there when she was only planning to look on there for five minutes. And, you know, I suppose for me, what interests me is the way that a lot of this knowledge has kind of been weaponized. Um, and there's obviously a kind of um, increasing kind of blowback against that at the moment. Um, yeah, which is interesting for me to see because I've been thinking, I've been researching this for a few years now and at first people were like, I suppose not that interested in my kind of um, concerns around that, mm -hmm. um, but it's quite current at the moment. Your um, your work around kind of it's very much fueled by uh, by by healthcare, I guess, mental health in a way. Yeah, um, I'm very yeah. interested in mental health. Um, well, I suppose I'm interested in kind of these technological environments, these digital environments, and the impact that has on mental health. Yeah, um, and I think. You know, mental health is a spectrum, isn't it? And all of us have points in our lives when mm -hmm. we're mentally more unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I suppose I'm interested in the kind of contemporary condition and how prevalent things like anxiety and insomnia are. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, it's difficult to say because it's positive that people are talking about mental health much more and it's a much more visible topic. Um, but it also seems that, it's a much more um, prevalent problem. And um, there was some research I read recently that was about young people's mental health, and it said something like one in three young people, have, you know, basically describe symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. um, and you think, well, that's, that's huge. Um, I think I might have just misquoted that. I should probably look it up properly before I quote it. But... Um, but essentially that there's a lot of um, mental health problems amongst young people. Um, and in this, it, it, I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, this incredibly powerful technology at disposal that, um, you know, even a hundred years ago, human beings couldn't even dream of oh. the possibilities that we have. Um, oh dear. But those possibilities also create, you know, new, new problematics and, um, also kind of we don't really have the kind of language or um, we don't necessarily know how to steward these resources mm -hmm. and um, I think that that creates some interesting tensions which for me as an artist I find really productive yeah. um, but I want to kind of describe things in a kind of sensory way Ooh. Ooh. I want to describe things in a sensory way, in a sense. Like, how did you get to where you are today, basically? I saw you studied fine arts. And um, so, so I was wondering when you made the transition from uh, kind of, obviously, you, you are an artist, you've worked in art, um, and how your fine art um, education um, is kind of merged within your work now today. If it, so I was interested to hear more about that as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose I don't really see it as any different to what I 
I see my work now as just a kind of um, culmination of many years of research, which started when I was um, studying. Um, so I did a BA in Liverpool at Liverpool School of Art, which is now part of Liverpool John Moore's um, quite a long time ago. And then I took some time out um, and I was still continuing my practice, but I was also working um, in different creative fields, mm-hmm. just paid money jobs. And then in 2009, I took the decision to go full time self-employed as an artist, doing a lot of projects in uh, education environments. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, can you talk a bit more about that when you t- when you say yeah. a bit more projects in education environments? Do you mean then teaching or more like working together with students? Um, more like gallery based arts yeah. education. So yeah. working as an artist, um, running workshops in response to exhibitions or in response to uh, my own practice, um, and working with a very wide variety of. Um, young people, children, and also some young offenders or mm-hmm. uh, peoples in um, people referral units um, and um, and also elderly people too. Um, and that was, I did some training with a now defunct thing called Creative Partnerships, which um, was axed by uh, the, the Conservatives. Um, much to the country's loss, I think, because mm-hmm. essentially what they did was train artists to um, go into schools' environments and invigorate the c- curriculum, and um, that was invaluable for me. And then um, in 2010, I decided that I needed to do, um, in order to really pursue my own practice, um, I needed some more uh, trainings. I decided to do a postgraduate mm-hmm. And I did a postgraduate diploma and an MA at Chelsea School of Arts, both in fine art, um, and uh, continued working. I did. I, I worked as an artist workshop leader at Tate and um, in other environments. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, basically, kind of got to the point through the postgraduate study where I really understood what it was that I was interested in, mm-hmm. and that um, focus on. The kind of ideas around the dig- the conditions of the digital um, and the kind of subject matter that we discussed around um, mental health and these new technological environments mm-hmm. and what they're doing in terms of the human condition. Yeah. That, that focus really enabled me to be um, very specific in terms of starting to get funding. Um, and... Uh, my kind of first big success funding wise was getting project the project called are we all addicts now funded by the wellcome trust um and that was a big kind of shot in the arm in terms of my practice and essentially what that enabled me to do was um although i kind of i'm still very interested in in arts education and that stuff it actually allowed me to have a focus solely on my work um as an artist and and not just on the kind of um way that that could be formulated within education environment yeah, yeah, yeah so that enabled that money enabled me then to get some more money from the arts council and then and then things snowboard really so um it, it i suppose you kind of um it's a long hard slog being an artist and I, I definitely at certain points i i go i'd apply for things and i had a ratio of about 19 to 1 rejections <laughs> for every success i, I yeah. had 
a lot of rejections the way through. And I think partly it's because I wasn't really that, um, I hadn't really identified my research area specifically enough. So I wasn't articulating myself in a kind of, um, in a very clear way. And my work reflected that. So there was a kind of um, vagaries around some of my practice, which anyone with a educated eye could spot. And what's exciting is I get a bit older and a bit, um, I do more research and I build this kind of evidence base around my own um, work and also kind of build a discourse around it as well, is that I, I can, I really understand what it is that I'm interested in and trying to explore. And that that specificness, specific, specificity, if you like, um, I can't even say that word, um, opens up, it actually opens up more opportunities because I know the people that I'm interested in speaking to in other mm-hmm. fields. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been interested in working in an interdisciplinary way, um, partly because I don't really agree with the kind of divide between the arts and scientists you know the arts and sciences anyway um you know certainly pre-enlightenment that didn't exist and you know some of the best artists in the world were you know also inventors like another stereotype is Leonardo da Vinci but it's a good example you know he was Mm -hmm. a scientist he was an inventor he was a um extraordinarily um interesting person with a very vast range of interests and I think that more accurately reflects really what the potential of art is in terms of having an inquiring mind that can go across lots of different fields. Mm-hmm. Um, but my interest in working collaboratively with people from different fields is, is to do with their expertise in a sense, mm-hmm. um, because I haven't studied neuroscience for 20 years, you know, and I want to know quite specific things about the effect of addiction on the brain, for example. And so I need to talk to people who know these things rather mm-hmm. than just, you know, that's kind of what motors my the interdisciplinary approach that I have. But I wouldn't say that is different to a kind of there's different types of fine art practice, mm-hmm. and there's certainly other fine artists, for for want of a better phrase, who um, work in a similar way to me. Um, whereas there's other artists that maybe just have a kind of more medium specific approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear your journey as well. That I mean, the um, the hard work that you put in to get to where you are now, and then once you actually get what you kind of where you want to go, and and the grants, and you win one, and then basically things come and start happening for you as well. So I think that is that is really great to hear the whole journey as well from where you started to where you are now, and um, it's it's very um, valuable. Um, so, um, in terms of um, just maybe a, a final thing before we go into the quick fire quiz, in terms of art, your your future work and your focus on artificial intelligence, maybe more yeah. as well, and in terms of educating people, um, which I think is is really very important uh, and often portrayed very wrongly in the media as well. And so, so c- can you give us a little? Um, insight into what you would be creating or uh, or where it would be coming or when it would be kind of released uh, where we could find more about that um well if I'm really honest I can't really because I I haven't really kind of um 
ironed out specifically what it is yet. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's a possibility that I might be making okay. some new work for Furtherfield for um, their heritage uh, lottery. It, it's Finsbury Parks. Furtherfield is an arts organisation that's mm -hmm. based in Finsbury Park in North London. Okay. And it's the, um, I think, 150th anniversary of Finsbury Park. So um, hopefully we're getting some Heritage Lottery funding to do some work in the park. And there's an augmented reality piece of work that I want to make mm -hmm. around um, one of the fountains in the park. Um, I've been interested in fountains for a while as a kind of a picture of a, a, a closed system um, and how uh, closed systems function um oh, oh, oh darling and uh yeah in terms of the ai stuff um one of the things that you can find on my website um and it's also on on display oh dear at the vna at the moment is um a conversation that i had with um william tunstall pedo who invented the alexa device well, yeah cool yeah he was the kind of he invented EV, which is the precursor to Alexa, and then his company was purchased by Amazon and he was involved in the development. He was one of the key people involved in the development of, of Alexa. Um, and as part of the commission, I made a kind of digital print on silk for that exhibition at the V&A, which is currently on, um, but also was commissioned to do a kind of interview with um, William. And... Um, it's more a kind of debate. We ha we come from incredibly different places, um, both in terms of intellectual knowledge, but also in terms of um, worldview, I suppose. Um, but one thing that I respect about William is that he's been very open to talking to me and actually for me to ask him some quite difficult questions, like why is Alexa female? Okay. <laughs> you know, what does that, you know, from a feminist point of view, that's very problematic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but he's really open to having those conversations and um, there's a possibility that we might do something um, but I really can't talk about what that might be okay sure sure yeah and um, in terms of where these things might end up I can't really I can't really say either because um, I um, although I've been fairly successful in kinds of funding and stuff, you know, I'm still in some ways an emerging artist and, um, you know, I have to kind of uh, see where opportunities, what opportunities come to me and also what things fit with the work that I'm developing. So, yeah. And there's also a possibility that I might do some, a collaboration with another artist called Greta Lu, who's based in um, Germany. Okay. Uh, he's got a very interesting practice. So there's lots of possibilities, but nothing concrete. And I think that's probably um, quite an accurate reflection of most artists' lives. Or, um, you know, if everything comes off, then I'm going to be far too busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if nothing comes off, then I'm going to be uh, a bit scuppered. Yeah. So, yeah. But that, but that's that's. I mean, it's good to hear about your plans, and and so it's definitely an incentive for us to keep following and seeing where you're where you're taking it and. Uh, uh taking it next so um so i try and update my website fairly regularly um although I, i'm a bit lame with it but um it's catrionabeals.com so um and there's a couple of texts on there um where you can read a bit more of my work and there's also most of the work that i've made in the last sort of eight years or so mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I haven't seen the work in the V&A yet. Uh, so I, I did see the Hooked exhibition, but I will definitely check out the V&A one as well um, to, to see the, the, the commissioning um, piece there. Um, so I think um, it would be good if we go into the quick fire quiz now and um, ask you a bit about like things that you like and things that you would re recommend, basically. So okay. what is an... An, uh, an art piece that has inspired you or impacted you in some way and how did it impact you? Um, when I was quite young, uh, I think maybe 10 or 11, I went with a trip to take Britain with my dad and um, there was an artwork, um, I think it was by Ronnie Horn, um, but it was a, a grand piano suspended upside down and and then suddenly it would drop out of the ceiling and all the keys would hang out and it would make this kind of massive crash above your head. And um, I think that was one of the first experiences for me when I was kind of um, saw the potential of an artwork in a kind of quite a different way, that it wasn't just something that was quite quiet and could kind of you reflected on, but it was also something that could have quite a visceral impact on you. Mm -hmm. um, like could be shocking or a confrontational or just completely surreal you know who would hang a grand piano upside down mm -hmm. and drop the ceiling mm -hmm. um but that kind of the potential of um art to do something really unexpected um and that could have quite that's still something i think about um you know however many years later yeah yeah mm. okay that's 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 very cool yeah so it, it basically opens your minds much more than than it had been before you saw that yeah, in the, in the sense of being able to see the possibilities of art and and uh, in a completely different way. Yeah, so it yeah. have to be at A for painting. You know, like how art is taught in, taught in schools is often really restricted. Mm. Yeah, and that's partly to do with resources and time and whatever. But um, you know, the idea that art could be this kind of um, bold and kind of almost violent mm -hmm. interruption. Um, which sort of subverted lots of things was really exciting to me and uh, still is. Yeah, okay, very nice. Uh, and then can you recommend another female artist to us that we should definitely check out and why her? Yes, I can actually. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think <laughs> there's some really fascinating female artists working at the moment who are making incredible work, which isn't getting the recognition it deserves. Um, so um, a collaborator of mine from last year, an artist called Fiona MacDonald, um, is doing some amazing research into um, collaborations with the non-humans. So she's looking at um, making collaborative artworks with other life forms. Um, so she's done stuff with mushrooms and ants and uh, trees and just uh, thinking about network culture from an organic perspective um, and pre-existing networks. Um, she made an amazing piece of work for the show we did at Further Field um, called the Mycorrhizal Meditation, which is based on the mycorrhizal network that mushrooms have, um, in which they kind of actively communicate with each other and with other organic matter. Um, and uh, created this kind of meditative um sound work for that which also used um field recordings of the mm -hmm. noises that um, mushrooms make 
so really kind of like uh, opening looking at things from a kind of transhumanist perspective mm-hmm. in some ways thinking about um other forms of life how they function and what we have to learn from them um so i think she's a really exciting interesting artist so her name's fiona mcdonald you should definitely check her out yeah okay very uh, good yeah definitely um i'll add it to the show notes as well um are um are you well what are you currently re- currently reading if you're reading something um, um at the moment and <laughs> why that book yeah um good question what am i currently reading i'll be honest with you i'm hardly reading anything at the moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I want to read um, this uh, AI article that Kate Crawford has produced with another artist um, whose name has slipped my memory. Um, but Kate Crawford is one of the top researchers really thinking about AI at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got this, uh, it's not exactly a book, but this sort of uh, publication sat <laughs> waiting for me to have a few minutes to look at it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's next on my list. Okay, okay, very interesting. Um, and what's your favorite invention and why? Gosh, mm. can be anything. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. I probably say the pencil, because okay. um, although I'm very interested in digital medium. Um, I think there's something about the simplicity of the pencil and its um, its longevity as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I was reading some stuff about, um, you know, archiving digital, different digital formats and um, actually how obsolete things are com- becoming so quickly. So I've got some old artwork stored on CD and quite soon I'm not going to be able to access that. Mm-hmm. Um but ironically, you know, a pencil drawing, it kind of has a, a longevity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite extraordinary. And uh, there's something about drawing that I still find really important. Um, so I've been doing some pastel, oil pastel drawings of series screens, mm-hmm. um, of computer screens. And there's something about a slower way of thinking through um, a kind of a tactile medium that's very direct um yeah so I'm gonna say the pencil for now but if you ask me tomorrow I'd probably say something (laughs) no but the pencil I think I I I think it's an amazing invention as well it's um it's extremely versatile and sustainable kind of um, durable as you say and I was sketching actually um I, I really like sketching as well but um I don't do it often enough um and I I had this iPad in an um, that I that I just was trying with the pencil for the first time, really for sketching. Mm. And even though it's quite interesting, and and you kind of have different pressure points, but still with a pencil and a paper, this mm. I don't know. The feeling is still different. Um, yeah. So so yeah, very interesting. Uh, and then your what's your favorite social impact project? Or a project that doesn't have, didn't receive enough attention um, up to today, but you would like to put into the spotlight. Um, well, I have to plug some friends actually. So um, the guys at Furtherfield, Ruth Catlow and Mark Garrett, have for a long time now been 
really at the forefront of research into a technology and culture. And they've made some amazing work around the blockchain. And um, But they exist on a kind of very small budget. Um, they're really like started off as a kind of um, artist run, and they still are artist run um, projects. And um, Furtherfield as a kind of research site for artists and technologists, I think, is one of the most interesting projects in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does definitely fly below the radar. Um, yeah, so check out Furtherfield. Okay, no, that's that's great. Um, that's really great. Um, and then my final question um, is: We've talked about addiction, we've kind of online offline presence, and um, impacting your mental health and so. On. Do you have a challenge for the audience in some way, linked to your work or linked to um, kind of addiction with digital? Um. Well, I'm quite skeptical of the whole digital detox thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not the kind of like switch off your mobile phone. I don't think that's very uh, well. It's useful and sometimes it's necessary, and we all need to do it, whatever. But I think more about um, having a kind of critical engagement with things mm-hmm. is generally more interesting for me. So um, next time you upload a this is my challenge. Next time you upload a photo to Instagram. Um, time how long it takes them to send you a notification that you've had a like. Okay. When you upload a second photo, time that length of time between you uploading it and receiving a like. And um, think about the fact that actually that isn't a reflection of actual timing of when people have responded to your image. That's an algorithmic Um, system which basically is designed for you to um, keep going back to the platform to check Mm. people's likes and essentially Instagram holds back um, notifying you that people have liked an image Mm -hmm. to encourage you to keep checking it Mm -hmm. and so I think having a kind of a critical reflection on that sort of those sorts of forces and how they're manipulating you yeah, that's okay. okay, very cool. <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, I'll definitely do it as well. I'll, I'll check it out. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your, for your time as well. And like when people would like to get in touch, is it best via your website or how would, would they best get in touch with you if they would like to learn more? Yeah, there's a contact form on my website, mm-hmm. but you can also just email me at info at catrionabeals.com. Yep. I'm always really interested to hear from people. And um, particularly people who are um, doing research in this area or, um, you know, have got, uh, I don't know, questions or possibilities to discuss. Um, I have got an out of office on my email at the moment saying I'm on maternity leave. But as you can tell, I'm kind of, I kind of am. Exit, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay, no, but that's great. That's great. I'll add it to the show notes as well, and then people can can get in touch. Um, also, the links to the the hooked exhibition and the VNA one. Um, I'll add that as well. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, and all the best with your future work as well. I'm really thank keen so to much. see what you're going to develop next. So, thank you so much, Isabel. Um, right. Keep me posted on what what you get up to too, and 
thanks for all your hard work with the Science Roadie um, podcast. I'll definitely, I'll definitely keep you posted and, and hopefully we can meet in person as well very soon. Yeah, I look forward to that. All right. Take Have a care. nice day. Annie, bye. 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 bye.